On this episode of Rock Down South, we sit down with Nick Tressler from Raised Rowdy. And this guy is probably one of the coolest guys in the music industry. So you definitely don't want to miss this one. We hope you all enjoy. Let's go. Hey, this is Nick from Raised Rowdy, and you're listening to Rock Down South. Welcome to another exciting episode of Rock Down South, your home for rock and country music. Today, we had the pleasure of speaking with Nick Tressler from Raised Rowdy. And for all you guys who do not know about Raised Rowdy, then you're probably not a big fan of up-and-coming country music, because these guys have their finger on the pulse of music in this industry and help promote these up-and-coming artists through their website, podcasts, and events. And we talk all about how Nick started the company, music artists to look out for, and so, so much more. This is definitely one of the longer interviews that we've recorded here in quite some time, but it seems like time flies by. So without further ado, here's the show. What's up, Nick? How you doing today, man? Hey, doing really well. Thanks for having me on. Bro, thank you so much for jumping on, man. I was uh, excited to talk to you today. This is going to be a fun one. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I live from a world of rock and roll. That's what I came up from. And then I'm a big country music fan now and as as I was coming up in my youth. So I'm excited to have kind of both those worlds of what you guys do on your pod. Yeah, man. Yeah, this will be fun. We'll get into it. And uh, so I know this interview isn't really about us and Rock Down South, but uh, I guess first and foremost, uh, let me just kind of set the stage and a little bit. I wanted to give you a little bit of our background and kind of how I got into you guys um, and why I was interested in chatting with you today. But uh, basically 2020, me and some buddies started uh, Rock Down South as an interview podcast, you know, just chatting with artists uh, basically during lockdowns because we needed that music fix, you know, yeah. <laughs> we weren't going to live concerts. And uh, obviously it seemed to get a little bit of attraction and we started getting, you know, bigger and bigger acts on the pod. And, uh, and since then, we got into a little bit of concert promotions, and uh, one of the other guys on the group does photography, so does some concert photography sometimes. But uh, cool. I think I came across Ray's Rowdy back in the day, probably 2020 or 2021. Um, I was doing some interview prep and I th- listened to one of your episodes and came across you guys. I was like, man, this Ray's Rowdy is pretty cool. They seem to be yeah. doing uh, what I'm like trying to do, but of course they're doing it at a whole top level, way, way more cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but <laughs> yeah, it's a, uh, it's been a wild ride, man. Raise Rowdy. We've been around for a little bit over five years now. Um, started when I was still living in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, and then now I've been in Nashville for about, about almost two and a half years coming up on. That's so awesome, really- man. Yeah, it's fun, man. Moved during COVID. So I kind of understand that uh, thing happening. (laughs) Uh, COVID actually for our podcast, because I started my podcast live in person in like green rooms. So um, interesting. Kind of kind of put our podcast on hold for a while. So like if you look at our history of the podcast, you'll see like kind of a gap. And that was COVID. But that's also when I just started Rage Rowdy Radio, which was a radio show we were doing up in Pittsburgh. So it uh, kind of worked out. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your background. I know you, I listened to another interview of yours a while back and heard a little bit more about you in that. And I was like, oh, that sounds pretty cool. He's doing like the working thing at a normal job and then also doing Raise Rowdy on the side. So that was one of the things that piqued my interest enough to want to reach out where I was like, I think we might have some commonality here having to work full time for things and then, you know, doing fun stuff on the side. So, but tell me a little bit about that background and kind of your interest in music growing up and uh, how Ray's Rowdy kind of started in the infancy. Yeah. Yeah. So I was the youngest of four boys. So there was a vast array of music being played. Um, And then of course, like my mom and dad. So my mom was more into like the R and B and things like that. And then my dad was, like listen to some rock and roll stuff like the Eagles um, and then a lot of country music. So he's a big George Jones guy, Conway Twitty. He loved that like baby making country kind of stuff. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, we had that growing up. My brothers were into all kinds of different stuff. My brother, Sean was into more of like the poppy genres of music. My brother, Steve more into like the metal more of like the heavy things. Metallica is one of his favorite bands of all time. And then my brother Chaz, who's two years older than me, 
thoroughly got me into the grunge scene when I was young. So he had done the BMG in Columbia house and gotten the nine CDs for a penny each. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I remember that. My parents made me send it back. They're like, what is this Ponzi scheme you're getting involved in? Yeah. yeah. Well, he got probably 18 to 20 CDs that a lot of which I still listen to today, you know, so he had good taste in music specifically back then. Um, so that kind of got me there. And then throughout high school and college, uh, is when I kind of got into the real country music. Like my dad was working shift work. So he would listen to nineties country blaring, trying to drown out the four boys running around the house. But when I really like myself knew that I was into country music was right around the Zach Brown foundation album. Um, yeah. Just because that was so different than the stuff that I was used to hearing in the country music segment. And I was like, man, if this is there, what else is out there? And that kind of just like, put me on the prowl. I've always been someone that loves music and consumes it so many times that I get tired of it. So I've always been someone that would search for new sounds and new music and things that I didn't know. And then from that love affair with music, like came a lot of my friends being like, you need to figure out something to do with this. You know, like you have too much passion for this. You're you know too much about like artists that haven't made it yet. You've been right on a lot of them that you said you thought were going to be big, being big. Like you need to figure out something to do with it. And did you ever when, try to, sorry to interrupt, but did you ever try to know. play music or sing before that? I took guitar class my senior year of high school, but uh, wasn't anything that I like really, really got into. Um, like putting the hours in is what, you know, you really need to do to make it work. And then, um, my guitar teacher, he was, our. he was like, you know, Nick, you could work on this a very long time and you could probably get good enough to play music out somewhere, but you're going to have to put in a lot of hours, you know? And, uh, he was, and honestly, like when I was, it's funny because in high school, I did not like my homeroom teacher, my senior year. So I would just go to the band room and just like hang out with Mr. Bell, who was the guitar teacher and uh was my first period class so i uh i would just go down there and hang out and he was like you're actually better at the drums than you are at guitar he's like if you were going to pick something up that's what i would probably pick up and it was just something i never really pursued i played football all through high school and then when i got to college the beer really came in you know <laughs> of course <laughs> so yeah we had a a good time all throughout, of course, high school and college, but that love for music was there. Um, I remember, you know, when Napster and things like that were there, I was always searching for songs and searching for music. And then as I got the LimeWire viruses that you'd sacrifice your computer for to get your uh, Blink-182 music and, and Papa Roach and Limp Biscuit and all that stuff back then. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I remember, I remember getting Huzzah. a virus from, yes, from some 41. And I was like, damn, there we are, you know, <laughs> but yeah, it's a, it's one of those things where just something I was passionate about that just had been a hobby. And then I got out of school, got a job working in like customer service where I worked weird hours. And then I was in sales where I worked weird hours. And then I got finally like my first like real like nine to five day job. And I just really fully engulfed myself in concert culture. Um, stuff I loved doing when I was in high school, we went to some music festivals and some big shed shows and then um, some club shows through college, things like that. But I worked full time that whole time through college. So with college and full time work, I didn't have a ton of hours to go do things like that. But once I got that regular eight to five kind of job, I just really got back into some of the things I loved and country music became one of those things, too. Yeah, man. I mean, nine to five is what I live. And uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, that's what the music scene is designed around. It's designed around the people who are working the nine to five so that you can go out on the weekends or yep. at nights and go see live music. So yeah, I mean, it took me a little while to get through college myself and I was working, you know, waiting tables and stuff. And then of course, when I got that nine to five, it like just opened up everything else in terms of like actually having a life and getting into yeah. music and fun concerts and stuff. Yeah, I remember the first country concert I went to and I was like, oh, yeah, these are my people, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> I've always been like, you know, from an area that's 
not necessarily like country country, maybe more white trash, you know, mm-hmm. but <laughs> but like there'd been a country scene there and then there's local Pittsburgh country bands. But um, I remember going to shed shows and the first time I got pit tickets was to Darius Rucker. And I was like, this makes this a club show, but I'm, I'm seeing the biggest stars on the planet. And that's when I was just like going to as many festival shows as I could with as many pit tickets as I could afford, you know? Yeah. And it kind of became my vacations. Yeah. I mean, there's something said to be, you know, even if you pay an exorbitant amount of money to be in the pit and you're seeing one of the biggest artists on the planet that up and close and you look behind you, you just kind of just have to pinch yourself and you're just like, not like I made it type thing, but like I'm here. And this is an experience that not a whole lot of people get. Yes. Yeah. And it's, you know, one of the things that I had been doing was kind of like project managing all of my friends getting pit tickets. You know what I mean? And like setting up who's going to what shows and who wants to go where. And then we'd start doing out of town shows. So I'd kind of schedule like who's going to be staying with who, how many hotel rooms do we need? Where are we staying? And I kind of almost like became the event planner for our friendship crew, you know? Nice. Nice. Yeah. I'm sure that event planning comes in handy a little bit later on, but uh, raised rowdy. So you had this obsession with music, going to concerts. Sounds quite familiar. What was kind of that next step to creating raised rowdy and where did it kind of come from? I know it turned into some sort of radio show. Yeah. Yeah. So basically we had this group chat that we called the rowdy gentleman of leisure. And it was a group chat of the guys that I go to a specific festival with a festival called country concert. That's in Fort Lormie, Ohio, which I still go to to this day. Um, And I haven't missed a year since we went the first year, but from that um, we started like a Twitter page with that, just literally tweeting at the festival we were going to and like other fans of the festival And then like some of the artists, you know, because Twitter was that first digital platform where you could really, I feel like, interact with artists. Previous to that, it was like you were just seeing stuff that they were posting, but you weren't necessarily interacting with them. When Twitter got on the market, it was like, oh, this is stuff that these folks will actually reply to. Or if you DM them, they might actually respond. It was a more personal experience. So that kind of lined that up. And then we had these koozies that said Rowdy Gentlemen of Leisure on them. And we made a t-shirt when we went to one festival. So it was like, we had these crushed beer can, like where it was just shotgunned. That was the logo. And it said Rowdy Gentlemen of Leisure on it. And so there was 24 of us at a festival and 22 of us were wearing those. And two people that didn't come, we had them just sitting there. Well, all these people were like, where did you guys get those shirts? We want one. And we were like, we literally made 24 of them, you know? <laughs> so we just made the the minimum we needed and, you know, just had the couple left that we didn't have. So we gave those out to some friends that we met there. But what we did have a lot of was koozies because you have to make like, I think 250 at the time you had to make to get that running. So we would give out koozies at meet and greets or to our friends that we met along the way or to our friends that you know we'd go to shows with we'd hand out those koozies and then I remember I'd given koozies to probably my favorite band on the planet's the Cadillac 3 right yeah and uh we'd given koozies to those guys during um one of their meet and greets and then Jaron had been using it on stage after that because it was Tennessee Orange and he's a Tennessee fan so he was literally using it on stage and had it in pictures of like meeting greets that were after that. So we were like, dang, this is cool. And then my buddy Jacob was like, dude, this is a thing. Like it's something we, we need to figure out. Again, he's like, you're so passionate about it. We need to figure out what we can do with this. So he and I 50, 50 split started Ray's Rowdy. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. Cadillac that we used in your koozie. <laughs> yeah. And, and silly t-shirts we made for a festival, you know? And uh, from there, I mean, it just kind of evolved. Like one of the things that I'd always been doing was covering stuff that was on the come up or that I thought was cool, but might not be big yet. 
you know, which is part of what they call A&R in the country music world, right? So um, some of them were baby acts that were signed to labels, but a lot of the folks that we started talking about had no labels. They had no publishing deals. They just had cool songs. So we started covering stuff like that and kind of made a name for ourselves of like the underground vibe of country music, right? So like we have a a t-shirt that says underground country, you know, which is kind of like part of what we are, right? Did you have we a website at that time? Group. Is that where you're posting um, things? Right where we started Rage Rowdy. Yeah, we started a WordPress website. So basically just a blog. And I started posting on the blog, just me and not under my name or anything, just as Rage Rowdy. So uh, that's one of the things in town that people would tell us that they would talk about. They were like, who the hell are these people? You know, <laughs> they're like, who is Raised Rowdy? Is it someone here in town that's not telling us? Because we were covering stuff that if you weren't in town, you mostly didn't know. Hmm. But I lived in Pittsburgh. So we had some folks in Nashville, like my buddy Derek, who would help out at the time. And then our buddy Chris Yao, who we met through Derek, who was just a big member of the movie scene. And then we were just paying attention to like events like Whiskey Jam, events like Revival, other stuff that was in the scene that was being good curators of talent. We would pay attention to that. And then we would go through that and see what we liked. You know, a lot of times it was like bootleg YouTube videos of guys like Joe Fortner that we could find on there. And we're like, oh, damn, this guy's great. Um, and then a lot of the events, like a lot of the artists that we loved and talked about, we'd never gotten to see live. So we started going to more festivals to try to get to see some of those folks live. I remember going to Windy City Smokeout and getting to see Riley Green for the first time, getting to see Musket on Bloodline for the first time, getting to see John Langston for the first time, um, all before any of them had anything really major going on. It's just Ed Warm was a great curator of talent for a festival. So he had all those folks there, you know, when they were on the rise. So that's that's kind of the roots of what Ray's Rowdy started as and then as we continued to grow just we took opportunities that seemed to make sense so i started the podcast i was doing it in green rooms usually with the opener so they would just be noisy interviews i had an h4 and two microphones and i would just give one to the artist and one to me and we would just shoot the shit <laughs> um green room interviews yeah yeah i've, I've always turned down those yeah that's where it started man and Honestly, that like because podcasts weren't as big back then, they did really well because there was only a couple country music podcasts out when we started ours. Well, you can't get you, back in the day. Nobody was jumping on Zoom calls to do interviews. You had to go to the green rooms. You had to battle it out with uh, the sound problems. Yep. Yeah. So it's a uh, it's an interesting thing. And then when we'd go down to Nashville, we would just line up interviews of the people that we dug and do four or five in a row, you know? So we'd mix green room with, I would probably be heading to Nashville two or three times a year, at least usually once during CMA fest. And then, you know, other times. And then as it grew, it just kept being more literally all my vacation time was being spent traveling into Nashville. Um, <laughs> when we did you guys make that leap? Yeah. So, um, uh, let me let me hit touch quickly first. Like right before COVID started, we got a radio show on Y108 Pittsburgh, which is a top 30 market Pittsburgh is. So all of the all of the tracks counted towards what went number one. But like the stuff we were playing, we'd play something you knew. So we'd play like the current Luke Combs single, but then we would play Ashlyn Craft, who wasn't at radio at all and didn't have a record deal yet, you know? So that's kind of what we would do on the radio show and then COVID hit. So I was doing the radio show from home. The podcast kind of got on hold and then my day job, which I worked in logistics. So my day job was like halfway remote already. So I was only in the office every other day and then it went to fully remote. And when that happened, I was like, Hey, I'm moving to Nashville. How soon after it went fully remote, did you say I'm moving to Nashville? A month. <laughs> like I said it immediately. And then it was just when I could be down there, you know? So my plan was, Hey, I'm going to keep a room back in Pittsburgh. I'm going to keep a room in Nashville and I'll just travel back when I need to, once this whole lockdown thing's over. Right. 
So that was my plan. I actually still have a room at a buddy's house in Pittsburgh. (laughs) (laughs) But like when I go home and visit family and stuff, I stay there. But um, when I moved to town, it just really started working. So I knew I wanted to start a writer's round. And I figured with traveling back and forth, once a month was probably all I could do. So I started a monthly writer's round called Rowdy on the Row. And this is October 2020 is when this is like when I moved down and I moved in with a guy named Joe Fortner, who I think, you know, right. Yep. So I moved in with Job who had needed a roommate at the time. And I literally worked remotely out of our living room and had a bedroom that had no windows in it. And we were in like a crappy part of town and it was just like, awesome. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, it's like, you're seeing how this works. You're seeing where it lives, you know? And I got lucky to move down in that time frame. I know that sounds crazy because it's COVID, but all these artists were off the road. So like anyone I asked to do a podcast would probably do it. And then anyone that I like reached out to and just to like hang that I had never probably would have gotten to hang with, I got to hang with. And people that were my friends like kind of I got to be very good friends with so like Kurt Ozon who is my podcast co-host um was like a buddy that I'd hung out with a few times like if I was somewhere he was he'd come have a beer with me or a cigar and then if I was in town we'd meet up one day for a cigar you know but we could hang out almost every day so then he was like well I want to help with the podcast and I want to help with the radio show so he started co-hosting the radio show with me remotely and then he started co-hosting the podcast with me so we had since retired the radio show just because financially radio is tough uh we spent money making the radio show as opposed to making any you know (laughs) um which i'm sure you're familiar with (laughs) that's how everything starts but um it got to the point where we had this rowdy on the row thing and it was starting to get traction so i decided to like kind of steer my focus towards that the in-town events side of things so rowdy on the row we started in january we just had our two-year anniversary so it's awesome 2021 yeah and within the first five months because it was like covid before touring started in the first five months of having the podcast i had hardy play riley green ashley mcbride luke combs as well as like all the folks like you no Joe Fortner, Noah Hicks, like a lot of the guys that are on the come up. We had hit songwriters like Jonathan Singleton, um, guys like Shane Miner. So we just had like this crazy mix in like the first seven or eight events we did where we had number one hit writers, artists that are currently rocking at the time, artists that were on the rise, um, folks like Ella Langley who now have record deals. So it was just like a crazy time. And then the first event we did in town was a partner event for one of our buddies from Pittsburgh, Alex Maxwell, and then Trey Lewis were doing a birthday party and it was a raised rowdy in the round birthday party. So we had partnered on an event before I started my round and that ended up being Dick down in Dallas came out and (laughs) it was like the celebration party for that. So my first event in town, once I moved here, we'd done some events previously. We'd done some whiskey jam takeovers as well as some other like writers round takeovers. But my first event in town, Cole Swindell just showed up to hang out because it was oh like, my gosh. it was like that, you know what I mean? So it's just really hammered down to start. And I remember we went to Key West Songwriters Fest and hosted some writers rounds that year in May. And we're doing that again. Uh, it's like my favorite week of the year is Key West Songwriters Fest. And we had just had Luke Combs play, you know, on stage with Haley Witters and Drew Parker. And we had Flatland Cavalry play full band in a bar, you know? Wow. (laughs) And everyone was like, where do you go from here? And I was like, down gracefully, you know? Like, like, what? Like, we're not going to have Eric Church come out and play the bar for free, you know? Like, I was like, we just, it was just timing, you know? So they say everything happens for a reason. I really do feel like the timing on me moving down was, you know, kind of given to us by God almost, or, you know, it's just 
karma and kismet. Um, and I say that because it's like every everything people say, man, you're lucky and I am lucky. But like part of that luck is just putting yourself in the right place at the right time, you know, mm-hmm. and being willing to work to get there. And so when did you move over to Big Loud and start working with them? So your nine to five job turning into music as well. Yeah. So the roots of that are in that radio show that I had from on Sundays from nine to midnight in Pittsburgh. So it was editorial. So I was getting to play what I wanted. So I was playing things like Ashland Craft. I was playing things like Hardy songs that weren't radio songs. I was playing B-side Morgan Wallen cuts. I was playing Larry Fleet. That's where I find God because that song just spoke to me. So they were looking at putting that song to radio and they were like, why does this song have one spin in Pittsburgh? Like if we, <laughs> number one, we didn't send it to Mark Anderson who, you know, they know very well. He's the program director in Pittsburgh and, you know, is a great program director, visionary. They're like, but we didn't send it to him. Why is he playing it? So they called their regional rep and they were like, oh, that's Nick. He runs Razor Rowdy Radio. That's Sunday nights. He plays whatever he wants. And they were like, how did he talk Mark Anderson into letting him play whatever he wants? And they were like, <laughs> I don't know. So they set up a Zoom call with me. Again, this is still while I'm in Pittsburgh. And just had a Zoom call with me and the radio folks from Big Loud. And uh, just chatted about what Raise Rowdy was. Chatted about Raise Rowdy Radio. And how I selected songs. Things like that. And they were like, hey we want to have another call with you and we want Seth England to be on it with us. He's the CEO. And I was like, okay. So jumped on that call. I brought my business partner, Jacob on that. And uh, we took that call. I mean, the call went pretty well, but I remember after the call, I talked to Jacob and I was like, whatever Seth wanted to hear from us, he didn't hear. And he's like, what do you mean? I think it went well. I'm like, Nope. I could just tell whatever he wanted to hear from us. He didn't hear, you know? So um that call went the way it went um but we still had those connections with all those radio people and so when i moved to town i got to town and was like uh hey i have this writers round that i'm starting if you guys have any of your like baby acts or like songwriters that you'd like to have on it i'd love to have them on just let me know and i can get them scheduled and stacy who i'd met and is the head of radio promotion was like well, how about a whole night? And I was like, absolutely. So we had our first takeover with Big Loud Records, my second month of hosting a writer's round that had wow. Hardy, Craig Wiseman, Ernest, uh, Tierra, Haley Witters, Rocky Block, who had been a friend for years that used to play with Farron Rachels, um, just John Byron, just all of these hit songwriters, you know, up and coming songwriters, and pretty much all of the artists on the roster almost like it wasn't Morgan Wallen or Jake Owen, but like a lot of the roster, you know, Mackenzie Porter, Ashlyn Kraft. Uh, it was just like a crazy night. And it was when you had to be seated or have a mask on still. So literally it was 175 cap for the bar. All of the artists posted on their socials on their story that we were doing this. And it was when shows weren't happening. So people just traveled from all over the place to come to it. So we literally had a line starting early in the morning for this event that only 175 people could come in. The event was 7 p.m. By 1 p.m., it was one person in, one person out. Wow. The bar had the best bar day they had had to date. <laughs> and it was <laughs> only 175 people, and you can usually probably put 300 people in there. So uh, that was that was kind of the start of that. And then through working on that event, I got to work with Tori, who's like the head of creative. I got to work with Candice a little bit, who's now my boss at Big Loud. I got to work with Tracker, who is Hardy's manager and like manager of like other artists too. Um, and they got to kind of see who I was. You know, the radio team knew who I was. They had that call with me. They thought enough of me to bring me on a call with Seth. And then Seth, when I talked to him after that, he's like, when I saw you hosting, I got it. He's like, I understood what you had. He's like, you guys had people in that room that were singing every word to unreleased Ashland Craft songs. Ones wow. that there aren't even videos out of the, on the internet. 
you know, like formal videos. He's like, so I really realized like you guys had a hold on a certain segment of the market. And so from there, they were tracker was like, Hey, what do you do for a day job? And I was like, uh, logistics for a food service company. And he was like, you trying to work in music? And I was like, absolutely. So it took a while because I didn't want to stop doing raised rowdy. So, you know, a lot of companies that would bring you on because it is kind of, I guess, a conflict of interest. Like what I do isn't necessarily <laughs> like a direct conflict, but like it kind of lives in the same world. So like, I'm sure a lot of big labels would be like, hey, we would have loved to have you, but you can't do that anymore. Big Loud is visionary enough to where they said, hey, the reason we know about you and the reason that you've developed the skills that we want to bring on is because you've been doing this thing for four years. You know, why would we want to stop that? So, That's fascinating. I was, that was one of my questions about getting skis crossed. And I was like, how does that work? Yeah. That's interesting that they valued that and continue to value it. Man, it's uh, it, it's super cool. You know, like they, they know I'm a hustler and once you want a hustler working for you, you know, Mm -hmm. as opposed to not working for you. <laughs> and uh, it's my role with them is of course different than what my role is with Rage Rowdy because I'm directing a lot of other folks where like I'm kind of doing the day-to-day -day work at Big Loud, right? But um, the skills are definitely the same. I built those skills over four years of running my own company. I just didn't realize I was doing it, you know? And so it's, it was super amazing, even if I wouldn't have gotten the job, just to know that a company that is as visionary as Big Loud, like thought enough of what I was doing to want me to be a part of what they were doing, you know? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, it was cool. And so started there, you know, I've been there a year and a half now. It's a, it's a great thing. It's of course challenging, just like every job is, you know, and, um, it's, it's different than what I'm used to doing myself where I'm like my only form of approval, you know, <laughs> but it's, there's no place I'd rather be, uh, you know, and again, I, I think a lot of other record labels would have said, oh yeah, you can't do that. And it's cool too, because like now you're starting to see some other folks from like guy, I don't know if you're familiar with country central and Benji from country central. I've heard of them before. So Country Central is another country uh, website. They're having great growth and uh, doing a lot of really timely posts. And one of the guys that works with them, his name's Ben, and he goes by Benji Cord on social media. Now he has a job working at a publishing company in town. And then, but they found him through his work with Country Central, you know? So it's, it's kind of like opening the doors of like, hey, this person's hustling, they're working, they're building their own brand. That That's not a negative for what we want. They're just trying to help, you know? So I think like it hopefully will let other labels see that you don't have to shut one door to open the other, you know, which is cool. And so you'll work on Hicks tape specifically, right? Yeah, that's correct. So they brought me in when I, my official, that, that conversation with them started in February. They brought me in in August. So it took about six months to like really get that nailed down for them to like, you know, talk through what, what that would look like, you know, what meetings they were, would have me in and not, you know what I mean? Kind of things. And then, uh, so I started right when album two was dropping. So I got kind of trial by fire. We had, had a lot of help from a lot of great people. They had, you know, already working on the account and then slowly transitioned it to just being me. And then it's, you know, one of the things that Rage Rowdy specifically at that time was known for was like memes. And so they were like, we want funny memes. We want original video content. We want someone that understands the merchandising aspect of the business. And so like, I do all of that for myself at Rage Rowdy. So they were like, we would probably have to hire two or three other people to have the skill sets that you have, you know, someone that's funny can create content, um, has ideas to create, have other people help you create content. And then also understands like the merchandising business side of things. So I'm kind of like a one, 
man shop for Hicks tape, but I have a <laughs> lot of resources. Like I work extensively with like the head of digital. I work extensively with my boss. That's the head of marketing. I work extensively with tracker who is like Hardy's manager um, and manages some other folks. So it's a, uh, it's super interesting. And it's like, it's definitely challenging, but it's fun. And it's way cooler than telling Olive Garden how many truckloads of breadsticks they should order every week. You know, <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. I love that. I love that story. Yeah. So what advice would you give to maybe somebody young who says, you know, I think I would like to be in the music industry. I love country music. I'd love to work in Nashville in the music industry, in the record industry. Um, I'm not going to be playing music, but I think this is where I'd like to put my talents. You know, what advice would you have for them starting out? Yeah. So one of the things that I would say is just start doing things. Right. So like, like myself, we just started this company, but it started with tweeting about artists and making funny posts and building a community of friends. You know, a lot of the things that you're probably doing being a fan of music are things that other people would be envious of and want to be a part of. So uh, that's first of all. Second of all, move to Nashville. Like you need to be there to win. I've been told that by people. One guy's JD Groover, who's John Langston's tour manager. He said, you need to be present to win. And I never really thought that that was the case until I moved here. And then the world just started opening up because. Yeah, there's there's part of it where it's like the commitment to you wanting to do this, you know, and you'll meet other people that are on a similar journey, be they musicians, be they artists, be they people that work on the publishing side, artist side, you'll learn what all the roles are, you'll learn, um, you know, what you are good at or what you can try to be good at. And then you can find that networking and knowing people and getting to know people and being a good person are what really gets you the furthest in this kind of thing. So that's great advice, man. Get to town, uh, travel to town first, but get to town, start engulfing yourself in the scene and just be helpful. One of the things I always talk about is, um, me and Matt Burrell, the guy, I don't know if you know, Matt, he runs in the round podcast and in the round. Oh yeah. Round. I follow him. Yep. So Matt and I are very good buddies. And I remember for a minute, he was like talking about getting rid of his podcast. And I was like, dude, do not get rid of your podcast. And he was like, why? And I was like, that's your give back to the community. I said, you're providing a service to these artists, but also to the fans of like shining a light on what's cool, but also like it's giving people a place where they can get to know you and get to know artists. So when you go to a writer's round that I host, or you go to a writer's round that he hosts, if you've listened to the podcast extensively, you already know us, you know, and you know, the artists and the music that we like and those artists that you meet when you bring them on a podcast, you're going to have a different level of relationship with than folks that you don't. You know, so it's like to be a part of the community, you have to give back to the community. So my best advice is come figure out what your give back to the community is. Don't ask people for things. Ask people that if you can give them things. And that has done so well for me in my short country music journey. Add value. Great advice. Yep. So I got a generic industry question, but you seem to be a guy that might know something about the music industry and have your finger on the pulse of it. Um, probably one of the reasons why Big Loud hired you, like you mentioned. But in terms of country music or just the music industry as a whole, do you see any big trends or any big changes that are going to happen in probably in the next five to 10 years that maybe we should be on the lookout for? Anything well, that comes to mind first? I think you're seeing the resurgence of rock and it's starting in the country music world. So I think you're seeing rock and roll and the stuff that's really working is the stuff like Co Wetzel and guys like Austin Mead, Giovanni and the hired guns now have a big major label act. Hardy is combining country music and rock music and what we like to call rural rock. It's the stuff that people that used to listen to a lot of rock music 
kind of strayed to country. And I think you're seeing country lean heavily on rock. The other side of that is you're seeing guys like Zach Bryan that are having a lot of success doing stuff similar to what folks like Sturgill Simpson and Tyler Childers did, but now being willing to be on a major label doing it, right? So you're going to see other artists with this broken down acoustic sound working. I think you're also going to see even more on the other side of the spectrum. You'll see things that are even more heavily rap influenced, even more heavily pop influenced. And it seems like all of those things are going to have their own lane. Broken down acoustic music, a rock revival. I think we're in the middle of it. I think guys like Hardy are really starting to make that happen. And it's just going to, there's so many kids in town that are 22 and 23 years old that just worship Hardy. Like he's a freaking God and are doing that <laughs> same thing, you yep. know? So I think not even the stuff that isn't even recorded yet, that is going to make that happen. Um, but it's super, super great to kind of get to see all of those things develop. Um, guys like Austin Snell, are you familiar? Yeah. Yeah. He's a newer so guys, guy. Yeah. Austin Snell, we covered like two years ago and he was just doing straight down the center country stuff. He was still in the military. Now his sound is rock, you know, and he's always had those rock influences. He just didn't have other guys that he could write with that could write that kind of stuff too. So once he got to town and found that and found out that that sound still works with his heavy Georgia voice, you know, uh, it kind of like opened that lane up for him. Trying to write a song for Co Wetzel, let him write a song for himself, you know, and you kind of figure out who you are in the lane that your music lives in and what the fans want to hear. Um, I think those are the trends that you're seeing in country music right now. And I think you'll continue to see that for the next few years. What I would love to see is grunge rock country. Give I mean, me I think it's happening part. already a little bit with, uh, it is, with Hardy. His stuff is more like new metal. It's more five finger death punch than Alice in Chains. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like, I would love to see like, imagine three part vocal harmonies, but done in the Alice in Chains way instead of the Diamond Rio way. Yeah. You know? That'd be cool. Yeah. And like, imagine Chris Cornell kind of stuff instead of like traditional Southern rock, you know, or merging those two worlds. Um, That'd be interesting. Yeah. Like if you hear a guy like TJ from the Georgia Thunderbolts, are you familiar with them? Oh yeah. I know the Georgia Thunderbolts. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're, if you have a guy like TJ and you listen to his voice, he could sing the heck out of some Chris Cornell music. You know, these there's guys like that, that live in this world and, they honestly like that kind of music. It's just how will their sound develop as that rock and roll thing comes back to life. I think you're going to be seeing Hardy and Co. Wetzel as mainstays on rock radio for years. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. Uh, you know, being a rock and country guy over yeah. here. Uh, yeah, I mean, what you're saying is just like, I'm liking the sound of it and I'm I know that a lot of that stuff's already happening and it's wonderful to see. It's wonderful to hear. We're actually yeah. getting good quality songwriting that is, you know, heavy on the rock side, but yeah. the country music spirit. So I love it, man. Yeah, me too. And speaking of music and rock music and all that stuff, let's talk about the music that you like to listen to these days. Yeah. So in terms of artists that I love, um, Man, it's all over the place. I definitely still listen and have the more your day to day and the more your day job becomes country music, the more I seem to be leaning on other genres during my off time, if that makes sense. Yeah. So like with so heavily listening to music for Rage Rowdy and then so heavily listening to music uh, at, you know, Big Loud for that, like I've been leaning back on that grunge rock era stuff. I've been leaning back on like Limp Biscuit and then like, you know, what they call butt rock, like Nickelback Creed, just fun stuff like that. Yeah. That's, and that's then, good stuff. Yeah. I've been listening to more of that than I had in previous years, but in the country genre, man, there's so much in town that is absolutely killing it right now. Um, traditional wise, there's a kid named Zach top that I absolutely love. He is just like the purest country voice that I've heard in a long time. 
um, go listen to his song, bad luck and just listen to his voice on it. And you're just like, Ooh, it's like Vince Gill, Garth Brooksy, just beautiful, soulful voice. Um, in the rock world, I love Austin Snell. I love the Georgia Thunderbolts. Um, in like the country rock world, I love Austin Mead. I think he's blazing some trails in rock and roll sound um, all over the place a little bit with like all different kinds of the the rock genre. <laughs> um, and then so there's three guys that are, all have traditional country voices and do three part harmonies. Their names are Andy Austin, Dan Alley, and Timothy Baker, and they're going by Old Hickory Music. They sound like Shenandoah, Diamond Rio, like that classic country sound, and I will see them in town absolutely every time I can. Um, a girl that I absolutely love right now is Kendall Inskeep. Huh. Kendall has had some pop on like uh, social media and had some of the songs from a thing called Songhouse pop for her. But her stuff that she does solo is amazing. She has a song called Endgame that whenever she plays it out at a writer's round, the entire room just shuts up. It's powerful. And her voice is powerful. She's just a tiny little thing. She's probably five foot tall. but And her voice is so distinct. When you hear it, it sounds like it sounds and not like anything else, which I think is a big part of what can make people be successful. I'll have to check those guys out. There's some good recommendations. I have seen the yeah. Thunderbolts live and they're really good. They're so good. I love their like the it's almost like they have two front man. Like TJ, of course, is a front man and he has like that vibe, but their lead guitar player like is another major part of the show, you know? <laughs> I love that. Yeah, those guys rock. When it comes to heavier side, what's the heaviest you listen to? Man, I don't lean super heavy into the heavy metal side of things, honestly. Um, it's funny because, like, again, that's, like, where my brother, my brother Steve, who's, like, one of my best friends, like, that's where his entire, like, love for music lives. I am, like, more, I don't know, like, have you heard Blame My Youth? They're a big, loud rock band. No, I haven't, haven't listened to them. I have to check them out. Blame My Youth is really good. There's a band in town called Lombardi that I love. They're almost like Black Keezy. Um, like, there's a lot of cool stuff. Have you ever heard The Commoners? No, I haven't heard those guys. I have to check The Commoners out. is like, they're a rock band, and they're not, I don't think they're super big. They're like a Canadian rock band, I'm pretty sure. But, man, they're, I like that, like, dirty Southern rock vibe kind of sounding stuff. And then I like like the black keys kind of vein is the stuff that I kind of live in more than like the extremely heavy stuff. I've never been into super, super heavy bands, probably like the heaviest stuff that I was like into was Metallica because my brother Steve would not have let me live if I wasn't. <laughs> and then uh, like stuff like bands like Primus, um, System of a Down historically, but the heaviest stuff right now, like honestly isn't super heavy like uh giovanni and the hired guns which is kind of like on that edge of like texas red dirt um but what i will say is we have a writer that writes for us sam berg that's who hosts the rowdy alt podcast and he listens to some really heavy stuff <laughs> that's awesome yeah so that's that's one part of the thing that i love about raise rowdy is like it doesn't have to be my lane it has to be someone that I trust slain, you know? And then like, that's, I would never have found guys like Cody West or Austin Mead if I wasn't listening to other people and what they said, you know? So these next questions are what we close with and ask everyone. Sure. So first question, what would you tell your 21 year old self? Just do it. It's never too late. It's never too early. Just get out there and find something you love and push towards it. That's good advice there. Next question. What are you drinking lately? And if you don't drink alcohol, it could be anything refreshing you like to drink. Uh, Bud Light. I Bud drink Light. Bud Light. <laughs> yeah. I Bud Light, Bush Light. Um, I'm more of a beer guy than I am anything. I used to be in to nice bourbons until they became so hard to find. And then also I realized that I can't drink that many nice bourbons and 
be able to talk to people. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but, and then I'm a diet Coke guy outside of that. I don't know why, but that's just like if I'm at a restaurant, that's what I order. Okay. And so, as you know, this is rock down South. So yeah. what is something, or maybe a couple things that come to mind that you love about the South? I love the South is unapologetically Southern. Right. Like there's people here that are super proud to be from the South and that their sound is Southern and they just embrace it. It's so great to see people that are proud of where they're from. And you see that so much down here, be it with, you know, the college football alliance allegiances or be it with their kind of sounds of rock and roll, man, or sounds of country. Um there's so many people down here, like guys like Muscadine Bloodline, they're just unapologetically Southern, and I love it. Hey, thank you so much, Nick, for being a part of the show today. Where can people find and connect with you online? Yeah, you can find me and the crew over at Raised Rowdy. We're at Raised Rowdy, R-A-I-S-E-D-R-O-W-D-Y on all the social platforms. And then I'm Raised Rowdy, Nikki T, N-I-C-K-Y-T. Um Feel free to reach out. We're always looking for content contributors, writers, other people with passion and a drive. So come on aboard. And anything going on you want people to know about? Anything new coming up? If you are ever in Nashville, Tennessee, keep a look at our socials and you'll see all of the Rage Rowdy events. If you haven't made it out to one of those, it's a very different experience than a lot of stuff that you'll see in town. So it's a a good time to be there and be on the lookout for more events popping up as we uh, get throughout 2023. Um, Head on out to festivals like Country Concert and hopefully some more where you can uh, interact with us and our crew and grab some merch. Thank you so much for listening to the show today. We hope you all enjoyed this episode. I had an absolute blast talking with Nick. He's a super inspiring individual who really has his finger on the pulse of country music here in Nashville. And of course, offers up free content and value to artists and fans. I can't wait to see some of his shows next time I'm in town. So make sure to go follow Raised Rowdy and Nick on all of their social media pages and check out their latest podcasts and upcoming events. You can find all our content at rockdownsouth.com and go make sure to go follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter for the latest updates. Leave us a five-star review if you can. We would really appreciate it. And as always, the views and opinions expressed by our guests are theirs and don't necessarily reflect our own. I'm Mark, and you've been listening to Rock Down South. See y'all next time. Mm